The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green, cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 46 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie, and we have a special three-man booth for this episode because the NBA never stops. I will toss it over to my fantastic co-host, out in Cali, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? Good. And, you, and you're right. We, we thought we could slow down and do one, go back to one day a week, but the NBA cranked it up a notch. You know, we had to talk about the Anthony Davis trade. We had to talk about Conley trade. We're going to get into the draft at the second half of the show. And because we have so much content, we need to bring in, I don't even know if he's a special guest anymore, celebrated author, Blake J. Harris. Blake, I, I'm upgrading you to like a recurring guest. You're like on the league. You're like our Rafi. <laughs> so i'll uh, make sure to provide some rafi bombs thank you i, I like being a friend slash enemy of the podcast i i'm obviously a, a a listener of every episode you guys have done an awesome job and it's cool to be back on the show thanks guys well the rafi thing works because you you know paul Shear and you know seth rogan and you're also a sexual deviant uh registered i don't know if that's that's possible part of it but um, Tyler, what do you want to talk about first? Anthony Davis, right? Oh, we got to talk about Anthony Davis, right? So uh, let's lay it out real quick. In one of the worst kept secrets, Anthony Davis, it wasn't even a secret. Rich Paul was just openly talking about how he wanted to play for the Lakers. They get the deal done. It's, I mean, it's something, guys. Like, Anthony Davis goes to the Lakers. The Pelicans get Lonzo. They get Brandon Ingram. They get Josh Hart. They get the number four pick this year. They get a 2022 first-round pick. They get a 2023 pick swap, and then they get a 2024 first that they can also make into a 2025 swap. I mean, frankly, Zan, it's a massive, massive haul. You can say whatever you want about like picks being not as valuable as players or people overvaluing picks, whatever. But for one guy, that is an unbelievable haul by David Griffin. And, and also, like kudos to David Griffin for getting the Bensons and Gail Benson to deal with the Lakers and being able to sort of negotiate just by himself and and get this amount of potential talent for a guy that they were not going to keep. That would be my first reaction is that I think the hall is great. And I, and I think David Griffin did what he said he was going to do. What do you think? No, totally. Like when I was projecting the trade in my head, you know, it felt like all roads were leading to Lakers, you know, Rich Paul and Anthony Davis were forcing their hand to certain degree. So I figured the trade would primarily be Brandon Ingram and the fourth pick and maybe some filler like Josh Hart or in a future late number one pick. So the idea that not only get Lonzo Ball, you know, we can debate how big of a move that is, but the future like potentially unprotected picks going, what, five years in the future is really unexpected. Like, and, and it caused a lot of people to, to compare it to the Nets trade or something like that. Blake, from your end, as somebody who lives in New York, do you, do you think it do, was your reaction that it's fair value or that it was an overpay? Uh, a, a couple of thoughts. My first thought was, you know, if you remember when Kawhi hit that doinka, doinka, doinka game-winning shot over Philly in Game 7, my first thought was about DeMar DeRozan. And, and so here my first thought was about um, Dell Depps. And, and 
just kind of interesting. Like you're talking about how Griffin got this deal done. And I, I just wonder, like, like, what do you think he actually did? Uh, I mean, I guess the biggest change since the end of the season or the midseason drama now is that uh, the Lakers got the number four pick and we don't know what that was. Um, is it too much to pay? I think, like, uh, I, I think so, but, but what, what's the word for when it is definitely too much to pay, but you would pay it no matter what? No, I agree. And I think the difference is, like, Rob Palenka won his power battle against Magic Johnson, but I don't think he felt firm in his footing on, like, the throne. You know, it's almost like a Tommen. Tommen, what's his name on Game of Thrones? Like, like you're the king for now, but it's, it's not going to last forever. And I thought he felt pretty desperate to appease his, his real king, LeBron James and get it done by any means necessary. And my takeaway was the same as you, but like, like I don't even care if it does screw over their future. I don't care if they're the worst team in the league in five years, if they have a chance to win the title for the next three years, then it's worth it. There's no, there's no pride to winning 45 games, go big or go home. This is where I think, and we were discussing this earlier today, but this is where I think people are furious with Danny Ainge right now, because really the biggest mistake that Danny Ainge made was like, I guess it's twofold, and we can talk about Al Horford saying he's going to opt out a little later, but they kind of banked on Kyrie. They banked on Gordon Hayward. The Hayward thing didn't really work out, and then he never made another move after that. He kind of stood pat, and so as Zan is saying, like winning 45 games isn't great, but I think he wanted to stay competitive for 8 to 10 years. Rob Palenka doesn't care, guys. Like If this trade doesn't work out, he's not going to be the GM in 2025 anyway, so what does he care about giving up a 2025 pick swap? I I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. Like His specific job was – this has been such a dumpster fire. I have got to get Anthony Davis. But do you guys remember discussing this earlier in the year? We talked about if we thought it was too much to give up Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, and just one pick, let alone it being the number four pick, and then giving away two other future firsts and these pick swaps. Like, I mean, this, this all of a sudden went from like, what's fair value for Anthony Davis to like, we're going to do whatever we can to get Anthony Davis. And now I, I do think the Lakers had to do it. I, I don't think they had a choice. There was no other way to really build their team. Anthony Davis is 26 years old. Like, I know we always use Buddy Heald in these analogies, but Anthony Davis is younger than Buddy Heald. He's been in the league for like eight, like seven years. I mean, this is the guy is in his prime, superstar. The key is can the Lakers figure out the, the right way to do this? I, I think they screwed up royally, not just waiting, talking to the Pelicans and being like, hey, who do you want us to take at number four? And making this deal on July 30th instead of July 6th, they cost themselves probably $10 million in cap. I do think Anthony Davis will waive his $4 million trade kicker, so the Lakers will end up with like 20. Do I, do, I do think what so, would yeah. Be, what would be his explicit, non-nefarious collusion reason for doing it? There will, be, there will be none of those reasons, Blake. He will say that he wants to be on a winning team, which we know is absolute and I just utter. I want to spend more time with my family. I mean, it's just like – but. But this is the thing. So, like, where do the Lakers go from here? And, and, I, and I'd love to hear what you guys think. Like, I personally feel like going after Kemba Walker or Jimmy Butler is not the right way to play this cap space. I think it's understanding you have two superstars. You don't need a third. It's like, now, what are the best players to fill in on the wings? And, you know, Blake, like, what do you think? I mean, where, where are the Lakers going to fill in the gaps? Because you now do have two guys for the next three years at least that you're going to be able to win a title with every year. So what's the best way to proceed? It's a really good question because um, it's basically, you know, like Zandra just said, go bigger to home. You could say you you need another star, and then we see in the playoffs the value of a star if other stars get injured. Um, But but I think I want to throw it back to you guys with a a different wrinkle on the question of, do you think that playing in Miami 
and playing, oh, basically having Chris Bosh and Kevin Love has changed LeBron's thinking on the value of a big three. Like if he were to do it over, which I guess this is kind of that situation, would he rather not have Kevin Love fit out and actually be like, well, maybe we should get two or three, uh, you know, guys who are 60% as good as him or as talented as him. Like, do you think that those experiences made him change his thinking or did he see those as, I mean, they were obviously very successful um, in, in terms of wins. Do you think that he's like, this is what works. A big three is what works. I, I think he still thinks that. <laughs> and because I don't think this move suggests that he doesn't believe in that because he, he's going from a big one to a big two. It's like one step of, on the road there. And like historically, like I think a lot of LeBron's psyche is defined by being a young player when the Boston Celtics came together with their own big three and beat him. You know, he was the better player. They had the three stars that fit really well together and beat him a few times. Um, and then he forms his own big three in Miami and and did it in Cleveland. I mean, you know, that's what's interesting to monitor about Anthony Davis. People forget, but like Kevin Love was seen as a top 10 player when he went to Cleveland and he got marginalized and became more of a spot-up shooter. Chris Bosh was seen as a top five, top 10 player prior to Miami and his own stats suffered. So it'd be interesting to see because Anthony Davis has some of those characteristics. You know, he kind of can get a little, you know, jump shot happy at times he shoots threes he's not a great three-point shooter is he going to become the next chris bosh i i think he's better than that i i think he's more disruptive than that but it'll be interesting if i think if lebron's mindset changes in the sense that like hey i need to actually defer and eventually patch past the torch and let this guy be the star of the team i i think that anthony davis is way better than chris bosh ever was uh i i have some th- thoughts about Anthony Davis and whether or not this is actually going to work out. And I do feel like we've seen other than like Dwayne Wade, who is like a true, true alpha and had had success on his own. I, I don't think that other stars have enjoyed playing with LeBron. I don't know if Anthony Davis is going to enjoy playing with Le- LeBron. He clearly thinks he's going to uh, defensively. They need to be really, really solid. And, and we know that LeBron doesn't want to guard the other team's best players anymore. He's, he can be a defensive difference maker, but he chooses not to be on a lot of nights Anthony Davis has only been a defensive anchor on an above average defense twice in his career. And that's very, uh, I would say that that makes me nervous reading that because you get a lot of things about how great of a defensive player Anthony Davis is because his block and steal numbers are high. And yet team defense with him has never really been anything special. It's not like we're looking at, you know, 08 Kevin Garnett or 2010 Dwight Howard. Like this isn't the type of rim protector that we're seeing. So I worry a little bit about the two of them defensively without adding some more three and D wings. I do genuinely think this is the perfect fit for LeBron, though. Like Anthony Davis in pick and roll, he can create some of his own shots. He won't get doubled as much in the post. I mean, I think we're going to see an absolute lights-out offensive player. But I do think that LeBron needs to really pay attention here and see that, like, how many big threes have really even, – even, like, if you look at Golden State, they've needed Iguodala. They needed Sean Livingston this year with Toronto – I mean, they needed Siakam in a big way. They needed Fred VanVleet. They needed Kyle Lowry. They needed Marcus Gasol. The Lakers have five guys on their roster right now. I think Mo Wagner has a chance to be a pretty good fit, but like, other than Kuzma, who people really like, and then Isaac Bonga, they have no other players. So now we're looking at twenty-three million in cap space to fill out ten roster spots and find you know eight playable guys. Doesn't seem smart to use the majority of that cap space on Kemba Walker. Not to me, at least. No, I think it's doable, though. I I honestly believe that I'm writing this series on right right now, 99 cent store free agents that are cheap free agents. I don't think they they need to be expensive. It's just like you have to be smart about it. 
You know, like you have to sign, you know, Tyus Jones. You can't sign Jamal Crawford. You know, like, and I think that's where like teams like the Lakers make mistakes where they're like, they're just picking the wrong minimum kind of players. And there are, I think they're fringe guys on the end of rosters or on the bargain basement or even in the D league or G league that are, can be okay players. Like you like a Daniel house for the Rockets last year, like somebody like that. Like if you find the right guy, he can play. Um, and so I, I just don't know necessarily. We haven't seen anything to suggest that Rob Polinka can find the nuance there and build a roster. Correctly, I think that's but. a, I think that's a huge point. Like there's no evidence that Rob Polinka or Jeannie bus or anybody in the Lakers front office has any clue how to build a competent roster. I, I just don't see that. It's so funny that you say that because they are the favorites to win uh, the championship. V- Vegas, I, I, I would. I put them as the favorite. No, I mean, Vegas, no, I mean Vegas is, but like, on idiot public betters, Blake. Like, they're just like, five to one. This is unbelievable. Like, take all no, my money. I'm just saying, like, you look at where they are now, where they were a year and a half ago. Like, and then and we all say, like, oh, they don't have any idea how to put a roster together. I, obviously... It was fortunate that these people wanted to play in LA or that AD wanted to play with LeBron. But like, I don't know, at some point life is a results driven business and credit where credit's due. They have these guys on the roster and, and like, I, I still, you know, you can't really think that much about the what if timeline, but like they, I think we all agree they would have made the playoffs and been maybe a middle to late seed if LeBron hadn't gotten injured. Like the, I feel like this disaster narrative is out of control, and then like the cherry on top was that long form ESPN piece about how Magic Johnson is the devil. And like I read through that piece, and as a journalist, I appreciate all the work that went into it, but I also felt like there was actually no like information in there. It was like here's a lot of people who don't like Magic Johnson. Yeah, yeah. you know, Zach Lowe did a good job. He interviewed that. Um, who's the writer? I completely forgot. Baxter Holmes. Uh, Baxter, Baxter Holmes, and he did a good job with the piece. I, I like that reading the pieces because I like the dirt. But Zach Holmes, Zach Lowe said to him point blank, like, couldn't you write this? kind of piece about any team like there's always some sort of friction behind the scenes or one guy doesn't like one guy even on the on the spurs probably that was my takeaway. like i mean other than like the quotes were the juiciest part but in terms of actual actions like it was just a woman cried because she had been with the team for a while and magic got mad at her or yelled at her yeah, and she and she had panic attacks i'm sure she was totally fine otherwise well, um that did, that's did seem to lend itself to kind of how like the lakers have always been this sort of like and, and boys club isn't the right term but you understand what i'm saying like you go in and you kind of do your job and everyone's like oh we're the lakers it's great you know you do whatever and then maybe magic did come in and he was like i want to change the culture in here and that didn't go over well with people and i don't necessarily think that's true but i agree with you guys like the piece was funny and it was very funny that they hired a guy who didn't want the Lakers to really be his full-time job. Like, it's very clear he didn't want to be there 80 hours a week like a lot of general managers are, you know? Like, he's, he wasn't interested in that. It's funny that Blake mentioned DeMar DeRozan on, on Toronto. My, one of my first reactions was about Magic Johnson here. Like, how do you think he feels about the Anthony Davis trade? Does he feel like he deserves some credit for it if it works out? Or does he feel like he's going to get blamed, that he couldn't get the job done? I mean... Obviously, he'll see the the rosier side of the magic side of this picture, but um, it is awkward because, like, theoretically, if they rattle off two or three titles, Magic will like just exit right before. Oh, I just imagine that we cut to Magic, and he's like, "Can I tweet about this? Yes, I can tweet about this. That's all that matters." Yeah, no, I kind of, I, I, that's a really good point, Zan. Like, I, my first thought with Magic was like, he regrets quitting. He shouldn't have quit because this was. 
Yeah, it felt like a gut reaction, you know. You you guys think he regrets quitting? He just gave an interview about how, like, he positioned the Lakers perfectly to get Anthony Davis. I'm not joking. There's a real interview. I I think he literally, like, responded to, like, a hurt feeling and, like, overreacted really quickly. And I don't know. I think it was probably a mistake. But um, the one thing I'll say about this, like, I don't know if you want to keep going about the the Lakers, but I think the one potential nightmare scenario, because I do think they can compete for a title with minimum average replacement players. I think those two are that good if they stay healthy. The nightmare scenario is we all presume Anthony Davis is going to sign an extension. Maybe that came as part of this package. If he does not, if he is unhappy there and he leaves because he hates LeBron, then it's a nightmare. Then it is a disaster. And I I just want to compare it to, you know, people make like Dwight Howard a punchline right now. But he came to the Lakers when he was 27 years old, fresh off a 20 and 15 season, fresh off two top 10 MVP votes. He was seen as like old Kobe is going to pass the baton to the next Shaq, the next, you know, Dwight Howard's going to be the superstar. It combusted within a season. They hated each other so much. He, he though, he also, the, the back surgery or the back injury, just he was never the same after that. That's not. Yeah, but Anthony know. Davis is not, you know, Superman himself. So, it, like, one injury or one free agent decision later, this could be a disaster. I just think it's worth it, even if it's a 20% chance of it working out. The upside is so enormous. Do you think that LeBron and Clutch Sports will protect their ultimate investment in Anthony Davis and will not subtweet him when he misses a game with, like, a sprained thumb and, like, April, you know, I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like there's so many potential outcomes here. I agree. The Lakers had to do it. I do. I don't, I don't know if it's, I, I, I've seen that people say that like, it's definitely not an overpay that like the Pelicans didn't get enough, but the bottom line is like, I don't know what other package they could possibly get. LeBron's going to be 40 by the time that last pick can convey. It seems like a pretty good idea to short the Lakers long-term because this doesn't seem like as we haven't seen a team. Right. Well, I, I didn't want to say this because I wouldn't speculate like this. And it's irresponsible. But one might one might say that the Lakers have a lot of faith in LeBron James and his PED program. He can last <laughs> through forty. I'm not saying that. I think that's ridiculous. But um, so speaking of the trade return, because I mean, I think their hands were tied, the Pelicans, to some degree. So like, so the return is a lot. But what is it at the end of the day? Like once that dust settles, like what does this team look like? All right, I like Lonzo and Drew Holiday together. They need shooting. One of them's got to make a shot. They both shot under 34%. Obviously, we know Lonzo's issues, but it's going to be a really good defensive backcourt. You're still pretty high on Brandon Ingram. I don't love it because you have to pay him, and he's probably going to get overpaid just because of his reputation, not necessarily his production, but I do think a change of scenery is good for both of those guys. I really hope they trade the fourth pick tomorrow night, not to kind of get right into the draft, but I really would like them to trade the fourth pick for like eight and 10 with Atlanta and just kind of take two swings because I don't think there's a huge separation between four in this draft and then the end of the lottery. And then those other picks, we'll see. Having picks after 2022 and in 2022 is a huge deal because there's speculation that the one and done, that'll be the last draft of one and dones and the first draft is high school kids. So that draft should be a little bit deeper than people expect. And then obviously one and dones after that, you know, who knows, like, Maybe maybe you draft Bronny James in 2025 and bring the whole thing full circle. But that was my first prediction on the show when we talked about who's going to win like five or ten years from now, and I said it'll be the Lakers with LeBron and and Bronny Jr. Right. So, but I think like honestly, I think the Pelicans did well. I, I don't. I I kind of don't understand people saying that David Griffin needed to get a star for Anthony Davis. Like you got Zion Williamson. Like that's your star. There was nobody else was giving up a second star to you in this deal. 
for a one-year rental. You know, you weren't going to get Jason Tatum. And, and I think, like, obviously the Celtics realized that Kyrie's gone and Al Horford wasn't going to opt in, so they weren't going to trade Tatum. But as far as I'm concerned, for David Griffin, it's like, hey, we have Zion. If I can't make it work around Zion, I'm losing my job anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And that, that's the biggest thing I think about this is, like, he's able to think long-term while Rob Lincoln needs to think more short-term. And so I, I like it for the Pelicans, guys. I really do. I, I'm excited to watch Lonzo in a new era. Plus, now LeVar Ball's back, and that's always really great for content. You're shaking your head, Blake. You're not a LeVar guy? No. I mean, I think that other than <laughs> LeVar is, like, the best personification of everything that's wrong with our culture and our country now. Um, except for the fact that he does seem to love his kids, though maybe one could say the same about Donald Trump. But, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I'd say, like, it's, it's, I'm conflicted because I, I, I like Lonzo. I like him in a new free-flowing offense and a new setting. But this is very likely going to lead to uh, the unmuzzling of the Ball family. And, like, I, I just – I, I want to sign up for like an internet and podcast experience where that stuff is just like muted out for me all day. <laughs> or maybe after he becomes like an all-star, then we can bring it back. But like, I, I have a feeling this is not going to be the Lakers biggest regret of all time. Um, like I just, the, I can do, I can do without the hyperbole. And I actually, I always thought that it did hurt Lonzo's play. Like the fact that people were like gutting for him and didn't like him because of stuff his dad said. And I would never want to, to be in that position my father putting me there small media market might be good for Lonzo I could see that being a big thing like that could be better plus is Lamelo's going to Australia which I think is a great move so maybe LeVar ends up spending a lot more time in Australia than he does with Lonzo and again like I said I think this is an okay fit for him just him or Drew one of them's got to be able to make shots Sam if they don't yeah they, they I, I touched on it and but the one thing I like it's kind of blowing up the roster and starting from scratch with the idea that we have to build around Zion and He's a very specific player, and I think um, you can't just throw him onto any team. And I, and I think if you were going to build an ideal team around him, we could talk more about this a little in a second, but you theoretically want guys who are going to play with pace, um, guys who can make shots, and some length because he's not like the biggest guy in the world, especially if you want to play him at all as a small ball center. So having Lonzo, I think, on paper makes sense. Ingram obviously has length. It's just a matter of, oh, can those guys ever be sh- real shooters? And I'm much more skeptical about Lonzo in that regard. Just his shots look so freaking you, ugly. You're, uh, you're very high on Brandon Ingram. Do you think he can be the leading scorer while Zion's the best player? Or do you think they still need another guy to really score? Well, you know, it's funny. I always look at like shooting and we can look at shooting numbers. I always just look at the form and I'm like, if it looks okay, then I think they're good shooters. <laughs> Like and Lonzo, obviously by that metric is terrible. And like whenever I watch Brandon Ingram, like he, it looks like he should be a better three point shooter than he is, and he's sort of still a reluctant three point shooter, which is even more damning. I think he's still settling in the mid range way too often. And so, if he could s- stretch the floor a little bit, and you know, take, you know, it, it's one of those guys that you know want to be like Kevin Durant, and maybe you're playing like Kevin Durant, but no one should play like Kevin Durant except for Kevin Durant. Everyone else should be shooting threes. Uh, and I think he can get there, though. He's still super young. He's younger than a lot of the people in this draft. So, so I'm optimistic on that. The fourth pick will be interesting. I'm I'm still kind of cool on Lonzo. I think he's going to be like Ricky Rubio, where it's like he's going to hang around as a starter, just like for name value for a long time, and just be kind of limited, and always looking for an upgrade, like the Utah Jazz just did with Mike Conley. Yeah, crazy trade uh, Wednesday morning. 
Jazz deal for Mike Conley. They send uh, the 23rd pick in this year's draft, a future purse with a bunch of protect- protections. It conveys eight to 14 uh, the next two years, and then one to six is protected in 2022, one to three protection in 2023. So that could be a really good pick in, in 2022 for Memphis. But And then also Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, and Kyle Korver. My guess is Kyle Korver is a buyout candidate. He makes $7.5 million this year. He's probably going to play for the Lakers. Jay Crowder just gets traded every single year. Hopefully he can stick somewhere. But, I mean, it, the bigger deal is obviously Utah guys. You know, to go from – I think the one thing that this trade has shown so far on Wednesday morning is that people don't realize how good Mike Conley is because Memphis hasn't been great. This is a huge deal for Utah. You know, a, a, a really good point guard next to Donovan Mitchell, a guy that generates a ton of open threes. Great guy for pick and rolls that you cannot go under on now with Gobert. You keep Derek Favors. You still have my guy, Dante Exum. I think Utah is a top three seed in the West right now, not knowing anything about Golden State and not knowing what the heck is going on in Houston. If they can add a stretch four, like a Mark, Marcus Morris type guy, or they can add a, a bigger shooter, maybe add like Reggie Bullock or somebody, Utah to me is a, is a real threat to win the West, like a real threat to win the West after trading for Mike Conley. I thought this was a really good deal for both times. But for both teams, excuse me, what do you guys think? Well, I, I kind of agree. I think it was a good deal from Utah's perspective more so because I do think they needed to shake it up a little bit. Um, and I, we've talked about this before. I, Donovan Mitchell had that like great breakout playoffs, sort of like Jason Tatum, and then everyone just expects him to get so much better in year two. And it usually doesn't happen like that. And he's not the most efficient player. And I think those flaws were exposed this year. So uh, the idea of just like handing him the ball on offense and letting him be the sole like playmaker, I don't think was going to work, at least not now. I think they needed somebody else as well. It's expensive, though. I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with you in the sense that like it's a huge needle mover. Um, I, but I do think that because of Golden State, the, the West is so open that it's possible that all these teams could win. Like, it wouldn't shock me at all if Oklahoma City's in the finals next year. I, I don't think anything's written in stone right now. I mean, I don't. You can't possibly think Oklahoma City. That's you're being you're being facetious. You hate Oklahoma City. No, but I'm saying like, what did they win last year? Forty nine games, and like Portland won like forty eight or whatever it is. Like they're all so close together. Um, and if the Lakers don't take advantage of their, their lane right now, I think it's going to be very close in the West. Um, and so it wouldn't shock me at all. I, I obviously Oklahoma city would need to make a couple of tweaks, but, um, I, I agree that Utah's probably in the poll, you know, in the top three or four. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think they're a super team. I just think that, that the ceiling has been lowered on the West. Okay. I, I think that we, we're all in agreement that Mike Conley is, you know, a, a class act. As, as he's, <laughs> he's like, a, he, he's a kind of guy who will help any team, like kind of like Marcus All, or maybe even better in this situation. But like, you know, worst case, he's going to be very helpful. Best case, he's going to move the needle. But I, um, I, I think one of the more concerning things is an obvious thing is like, what happens to go bear in the playoffs? Like what, like we still have this team that you said might, we agree could win the West. Definitely one of the best teams, especially in the regular season, but like their best player seems to not be able to play or be that effective or stay on the floor in the playoffs. Can that change? Can they impose their will? Will Conley help with that at all? 
Yeah, I mean, I do think one of the – I thought their scheme started to work a little bit better against Houston. The problem was, like, Ricky Rubio just couldn't make a shot. And then Donovan Mitchell was terrible, and I think this is going to hopefully help them – I would say it helps them in terms of being able to compete offensively. Like I said, they still need a shooter. Gobert, I think, is a really interesting and more of a polarizing guy because, like, he has success against everybody except James Harden. And, like, you know, Denver tanked to get Houston into the four seed, so they didn't have to play him. And so it'll be interesting to see how they try to figure that out. But I do think the threat of being able to make more shots and understanding, like, shit, we don't have to defend uh, Harden to get them to only score 98 points. We can actually compete and maybe score – 106 points I think that will ultimately make them a little better defensively as well because I do think in games three and four and Zan and I talked about this they did a better job it just is in game one they looked so bad and then I think everyone's like all right well this series is over and that's the lasting kind of impression of Utah in the playoffs this year and I think ultimately it wasn't as bad as people thought from a defensive standpoint so I I think having offensive help in turn will really help them I I don't know if that fully answered what you were having to say it's tougher for them to play favors too just because, like, it's hard to have two non-shooting bigs on the floor. Well, and and two non-shooters in the lineup in general. When you talk about Rubio and Favors at power forward, so that's why, like Utah, I think it's not so much that I think Mike Conley. I think you're maybe a little higher on him than I am. I think he's good. I don't. I don't think he's like a franchise player anymore. Um, but it's more of like going from a negative shooter to a pretty good one, you know. But their franchise player, and we can debate Donovan Mitchell all we want, but like. Utah is hoping their two best players are Mitchell and Gobert, right? So we're talking about Mike Conley being their third best player. No, no, totally. But, like, that's what I mean. Like, I I don't think – like, if Mike Conley went to the Lakers, let's say, as as part of this, like, I don't know if I would count that as a big three necessarily. You know, I would say, like, he's a good starter. Um, But I agree. I I am a little higher on of Gobert than than Blake in terms of, like, that that too. It's like, I, I think Gobert is the key to the Utah Jazz. And so it's like if they can somehow win in a half-court offense with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and score just enough, they should be able to get it done as long as they make the improvement on the margins, get a better power forward in shooting, relegate favors maybe to a backup role. Uh, there's, There's a lane there for like tweaks in the same way that I think Toronto did this year. I agree. And I think there are a bunch of stretch fours out available on the market to kind of target like whether it, like I said, Mark, Marcus Morris is one, you know, the Bucks are trying to get off Ilyasova and that's just like cheap shooting. I, I mean, there are guys out there. Patrick Patterson is another guy who like, we know he can make shots. Like the Jazz don't need to look for a guy that needs to play 35 minutes a night, but they do need to look for a guy who can comfortably lift and roll or place with Rudy Gobert and screen and rolls. And I think that's a big part of this. And so, you know, whoever that ends up being for them, I think that's kind of the key for – for them and Denver and the Lakers and Portland, like those teams now have got to see, like there's a clear path to the finals. And so I don't know why all of them should be going for it. In my opinion, like everybody should be going for it. And you would have thought with golden state kind of, you know, getting hurt basically just like dropping out of the race, you know, like we're like pulling up like on a, at a 50 yard dash or whatever, 40 yard dash Houston would be the next in line, but it's just we don't need to dwell on it, but it's just bad vibes there. You know, you don't have to go too far on ESPN to find that story. I think that that was a hatchet job. I think it was a hit piece. I'm I'm all in on this. Like Daryl Morey looked like so frustrated yesterday talking about how Chris Paul never requested a trade, and then Chris Paul's commenting on Instagram posts that he never requested a trade. The article had no sources from inside the Rockets organization. Vincent Goodwill has a history of publishing negative things about the Rockets. 
I don't know, man. I think we're going to see Chris Paul on the Rockets. I, you know what I like, actually? This sounds like a hater comment, but sort of like the takedown of the GM God, you know, like Danny Ainge and Daryl Morey and people still like DFI like Sam Hinkie because he got like half his draft picks, right? Um, I think it shows you like, and, and maybe Masai is the one like pillar like on the Pantheon still, but Clearly, like these guys had a master plan, but it's just for, it's still hard, you know, like and at the end of the day, they might lose to a GM like Rob Palenka, you know, who clearly doesn't know what he's doing, but is in a good market and has some stars aligned. Well, I would say, honestly, like the, the two biggest things for me is like I think Portland, Utah, I thought was like if they could improve their point guard position, they'll have as good a chance as anybody next year. And then Portland is like, can you find a, you know, a, a stretch big who can make some plays and can defend. And there are guys out there like that. Like Kevin Love's going to be available. Al Horford is available. Those guys, to me, if Portland can figure out a way to make it happen. And then Houston, again, we're here and they're going to go after Jimmy Butler. I don't know that situation. You add another guy to the Harden CP3, like oil and water situation could be bad. But yeah, like Jimmy Butler is really amiable. Yeah, he's a super <laughs> nice guy. Well, we, we, it all works together. Like, it's just like, it's one of those things that like tilts it completely over. Like everyone's an asshole, then everyone gets along. God, we're just so bad in the swear jar. I said the S <laughs> word earlier. You're saying a-hole. People are turning off the show because we curse too much. Blake, like, do, we have, to- do we have time for the draft? I know, I know Tyler hates the NBA draft, which is kind of a problem on an NBA podcast. We have so much time for the draft. We're not worried <laughs> about a meeting limit. That got just, I just took care of that. So we got so much time for the draft. So Zan. Well, you know, because I, you, you, I, behind the scenes peek behind the curtain of our own dysfunction baxter holmes could write this article <laughs> i want to talk about the draft Tyler, oh, i hate the draft stupid no, who would no. know i actually i i even said like during our text thread beforehand i was like i super respect tyler he's does it's not that he likes or dislikes the draft he says he doesn't really like speculating on things on which he has like no sources for which is kind of how all analysts should be or no i understand but there's a way to get around it so we're gonna placate our own cp3 because <laughs> i have a game in mind go for it so i hope you guys have like pencils and paper just like a good memory bank or your tankathon open because we're not going to talk about team like, to tyler's point and blake's point i think it's right i don't like mock drafts where in the sense where you try to guess you know, what Memphis is thinking. It's more about like, what do you, what would you do in that situation? And that's why I think the draft is fun. Um, Who do you think is the best player? And maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're right. So here's the game. Three of us. We're not going to pretend to be another GM or GMs of expansion teams. Okay. Starting from scratch. Blake, because he's our guest recurring Rafi character, scene stealer. You get first pick. Then I'll go. And then Tyler, the expert, the disgruntled one, gets the third pick. And we can do a snake draft. You have to build a team with these draft picks. And I want to see it because also it comes in, roster construction comes into play too. I want to see how you actually would build a team in the modern era, especially for Blake. Rumor is he might take Zion number one. How do you build a team around Zion? What kind of players do you want? And how do you counter out that? So is that game okay? Do you guys understand the rules? We'll go Blake, Zan, Tyler, Tyler, Zan, Blake, blah, blah, blah. Um, fun fact, Rafi, before he was introduced, uh, introduced on the league, he was originally going to be a character named Sheldon, probably more of a preppy, uh, Roxon-like character before, uh, Jason got involved. Okay. Yeah. Your game works. And I will take Zion with the first bit. Way to go outside the box there, Blake. 
And then also we'll offer some analysis, but I feel like along the way and like why we like these guys, but I think everyone knows Zion at this point, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I just think he's the one guy, you know, marketability reasons aside, like he's the one guy that it seems like you can play him in any sort of situation and he'll be pretty successful. I do worry about them not having a primary scorer with him. I think you do need that, but you know, he's the best player in the draft. He's probably the best prospect since Anthony Davis, maybe since Blake Griffin, but I think that's the type of guy you get. And I think Blake Griffin has clearly shown that he's good enough to be the best player on a very good team. And I think, well, I think this is the key question because it ties into our exercise. Is Zion good enough of a prospect? Is he such a clear notch above that we have to adjust our game and not do a snake draft and have to go Blake, Zan, Tyler, Tyler's and Blake, and then keep giving Tyler the first pick in each round at the third pick. Is, is it that much of an imbalance? Yeah, I, have better, I have a better idea for your exercise. Since everyone agrees that Zion's the best for Noah and not draft Zion, let's say that he gets Kevin Durant and he's out of the draft or he's out for our season. I think we should just do this. With no, that. no, I like it. Well, it's okay. Cause I, I think it's interesting to see how you build a team around Zion. So let's, we'll just switch it up. We'll go Blake, Zan, Tyler, and then Tyler will get the first pick in each extra round. So you're going to get a little disadvantage, Blake. Okay. Cause you have Zion. And I gave I gave myself the second pick, sneakily, because I wanted to talk about a hot, t- potentially a hot take, because I think everyone wants John Morant here, and Memphis just cleared a lane to take John Morant at number two. Maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I fall into draft pedigree, high school pedigree too much, but I still think R.J. Barrett is the second best player in this draft. I love how much you fall into the pedigree stuff. I was just thinking that during sorry to tangent, but like, how come? How come Derek Favors doesn't get the pedigree credit? Like, he's actually been successful. I feel like every other player in the top three from the past 10 years is like, oh, they're a top three pick. But Derek Favors somehow is, like, outside of that, like, coveted, like, well, he's a top three lottery pick. Well, you know what? I, I, it's a mistake I've made time and time again. And, and honestly, like, most of the misses I make in the draft are based on that. Like, I still think Brandon Ingram is better than he is. I thought Josh Jackson was better than he is because he was, like, the number one high school recruit. I tend to think the high school careers matter more than, you know, the 30 games in college when Derek Williams gets hot from three and everyone thinks he's a great three-point shooter. Well, that's um, so amazing to me because you're a smart guy and all evidence is to the contrary. Like, No, totally. But, uh, but I will say this. This is the thing that kind of reaffirmed my belief in R.J. Barrett. A guy that I respect that pays a lot more attention to the draft than we do. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni of Draft Express, now ESPN. He was the guy, he was like really into Luca, saying like, it's no brainer, Luca number one. That might, might not be true. But the thing that his logic about RJ Barrett ranked number two, which I agree with, is Duke had no spacing last year. You know, like if you look at their team, Trey Jones couldn't shoot. Um, Cam Reddish can shoot. Theoretically, he didn't shoot well. Zion's a below average shooter. They played another center. So you're basically putting an attacker with four guys who can't shoot. And so to me, like, it's not a surprise that he did not play well. And I think if he plays with better spacing on the Zandrick expansion team that we'll try to do, his size for his position, his ability to attack, his ability to draw free throw contact um, and rebound for his position, I think makes him more unique of an asset than a scoring point guard. I've seen a lot of those guys out there. I do think, too, one thing with R.J. Barrett is that, you know, he is 19. He's the youngest guy in the draft. He reclassed to be in this position. He is a very hard worker by all accounts. This is not an Andrew Wiggins type where you're kind of worried about the makeup. Right? And because there were those concerns with Andrew Wiggins in the past. But 
I don't know. I, I get really worried, and it's it's easy to take R.J. Barrett two overall, I think, but I was talking about this with Blake, you know, a former Knicks fan, and I get really worried about if R.J. Barrett does end up going three to, on Thursday night to the Knicks, like, I get very worried about that group of guys around him because I think he is very young and he wants to be the best, and you get, you're playing with a group of guys that are really bad. But I, I do think if, if you're going to bet on somebody to kind of improve their jumper, there's no reason to not bet on R.J. Barrett. It, the key is, does he improve the way he plays? Like, is he more willing to be a creator? Is he more willing to be a passer and not kind of be a guy who was a bailout passer, I think, which is when he dribbled with his head down and he was like, oh, crap, I have nowhere to go with the ball. Now I'll throw it to Cam Reddish. And I I think that's the key with R.J. Barrett. I do like him a lot. I like him better than John Morant as well, which I think is a pretty hot take. And Especially with the guy you're about to pick on your expansion team. It's kind of a (laughs) bad way to start. Yeah, you can't bring him into that culture now. (laughs) I like John Morant. I don't love John Morant. Oh god! This is a horrible introductory press conference. I don't love John Morant's personality. (laughs) Like, if I was picking John Morant number two overall, I'd want to make sure that I think he is absolutely the leader your point guard needs to be. And I will say that there are some things that I've heard about John Morant, some things that I've read. Like, I worry that John Morant is very concerned about John Morant's brand. Like, he calls himself twelve. Like, and it's it's weird to me because he's a guy that hasn't had a ton of success up until this year. He's a very fast riser. I'm a little bit worried about John Morant being my point guard, but on talent alone, he is an absolutely spectacular passer, spectacular athlete. Uh, the frame is a little bit slight. I don't know how much weight he'll be able to add on, so that could be tough as he needs to be a great finisher, I think, to be really successful in the NBA because I don't think his pull-up game is going to be great. But I do think from a specific – like if Trey Young was the best passer last year, I think John Morant is a better feel passer than Trey Young was. And I think that's the guy that Memphis is going to get number two overall on Thursday. There also is a rumor that Memphis and New York might – swap picks and then trade them after the fact i'm not sure so we'll see if, if new york is trying to maybe dump some salary to continue to be flexible but uh so your th- so your first pick third overall is going to be john morant the guy that you are mixed on and for reasons i agree i think he is a great passer uh a little turnover happy you know a sophomore where most of these other guys are freshmen so you know how good would of rj barrett been if he returned to college i don't know um so, so, but that's your, your franchise guy. But how do you follow it up? How do you build the team around John Morant? You know, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think four through 10 in this draft is very similar. Like, I think the, I, I don't know that anybody is head and shoulders above. Obviously, I'm not taking Darius Garland, who has a lot of buzz right now. And he kind of comes with the pedigree thing you guys were talking about, that like he played four games last year, but everybody remembers him in EYBL. They remember him in McDonald's All-American game, USA Basketball. And they're like, this guy's great. I would, I think... All things considered, because the best way to to draft is to star hunt on an expansion team, this is going to be Cam Reddish for me. And the only reason I say that is because I think he's the one guy that if he puts it all together is the Paul George, you know, not he's never going to be Kawhi Leonard in terms of defender, but he's that type of guy where he can carry you offensively as a wing. I am very low that he ever gets to that point. I think there are real concerns as like a finisher, as a mid-range jump shooter, but again, the situation at Duke wasn't great, and he has both the measurables and the talent level to be that guy. And I think at four, you have to take him. I would even advocate New Orleans taking him if they keep the fourth pick, just because if you miss on it, you miss, and it happens. But in terms of like trying to find a star, he's the one other guy for me that I think is absolutely got those kind of credentials. So I'm, I'm going to gamble it at four, I guess, and take Cam Reddish. I actually like the pick. I mean, you could. I, I, there's so much Cam Reddish hate right now. I mean, he he was bad last year. He shot 36 percent from the field, and only 33 percent from three. But like to the eye test point, like he looks like a pretty good shooter. 
And the fact that he's shooting seven threes a game shows that he's comfortable with that shot. And I think he's alluded to the fact himself, which I like his confidence in that regard, that he has more in the tank. Like he is, he is more of a playmaker than he got to show. So I think there is some star potential there. And the worst case, I think, for him is he becomes like a Trevor Ariza or something. And I think that kind of player fits on a lot of teams. Um, but for number four, one of the reasons I, I didn't mind taking RJ at number two is because there are, I think, two elite point guards. And I figured one would slip to me here at number four. Whoa, 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 <laughs> what breaking news there was a trade a trade being made oh no um so zandrick is receive. i'm getting zandrick's pick and he's receiving scal labossier cliff alexander <laughs> kelly Oubre, and stanley johnson all these guys with high pedigrees that were so highly touted in high school so with my uh <laughs> in the draft i'm gonna take well, you know what blake i, I would use the ex- counter argument especially for big guys, guys like Steven Adams went later than he should have miles Turner, a lot of like, like, especially when it comes to centers, like they're kind of misused in college or they're just not quite ready. So if you take like a big guy who didn't shine in college, but it was like a top five prospect, it usually actually works out. I'm glad that you found some, you did some, <laughs> some ones that did not work out. And there are others. Yeah, no, it's, it's a mixed bag. There's no doubt. And there's not really, somebody made the point, like with Cam Reddish or RJ Barrett, there's not a lot of examples of guys who weren't efficient in college that suddenly like blew up and became great. Um, but uh, uh, the other thing about RJ Barrett, since we're being attacked, I saw 538, his comparison statistically was Carmelo Anthony. And that's fine for me. Like, I know people hate on Carmelo Anthony. If you give me 10 years of prime Carmelo Anthony, I'm fine with that. I could build a team around that. Um, but I actually like the guy that I'm pairing with him. Darius Garland rejecting Blake's trade. Wait, but I actually, I want to just dig into this for one more second. Cause in the same way that I see people are like, Oh, United States should be socialist. And it's like, maybe we should, maybe we should. I disagree. But like, what is your example that you're pointing to as like, well, it worked here. It would work here. Like this, this idea that you have of like guys who were highly ranked in high school and then didn't do that well in college that ended up being better than we thought like wh- who are the people that are making you still feel this way well i just said a couple like steven adams i think it's been pretty good um matt stafford can we say that i think he was he he was he only had one good year in college. Yeah, did you guys see that, what do you did you guys see that matt stafford was playing with a broken back last year that was pretty unbelievable not that has nothing to do with the nba and we're way off topic i would say that uh blake a, a, a couple things about that is like you need to recognize, I think, guys that go to college and they get used incorrectly, right? So the, the big one that sticks out to me is DeAndre Jordan. He goes to Texas A&M and they're trying to like post him up and then he goes like 32nd in the NBA draft and it's all of a sudden it's like, well, now the NBA is turning into this screen and dive like rim protection league and DeAndre Jordan's a beast at that. So it's like, can you identify guys like that? And so my, my thing would be, you know, I don't love Nasir Little and I'm sure we'll get to him in a second because we'll probably have to start making these picks a little quicker. But I, I, I just think that like, if you look at Nasir Little, and you like, okay, he finished top five in his high school class. And then you watch kind of how he played at North Carolina, and you're just like, this fit stinks. So the talent level still exists, because most of the guys that are able to identify who's a top 10 player in the class recognize talent. Then it's like, okay, well, why didn't he work at North Carolina? And are we going to put him in a situation that we think he can work in? But I think that's kind of the argument for why guys with a big pedigree don't necessarily always work out, because quite frankly, college coaches want to win games. But if they have other ways to do it, they're not going to compromise what they do to heed good recruits. That's just not, you know, Roy Williams, Bill Self, like Quinn Grimes was like a top five player on the draft board before the year. 
And he doesn't even have a school right now. He just transferred from Kansas because it just didn't work out. So I think that's where you kind of look at like, all right, which guys were maybe used incorrectly and we know how talented they are. And that's kind of, I think, where you get into like, how do we decide if this guy is actually worth picking high or not, if that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. That's fair. And I'm sure that you could find a lot of value in that. DeAndre Jordan is a great example, but the impression I got from Zandrick is more that it's like the creme de la creme. Like it's like more like top three guys, like, like Brandon Ingram. We've seen so many years of experience now, but it's still like, no, it's not like he was sixth and, you know, was going to like, like, you know, it's like, he's somehow in this like halo ground. And actually, I think I know the answer. I think it's because Zandrick's a big football fan and it's kind of true in football. Like the quarterbacks, like, who have high pedigrees but don't put up numbers in college have done well in the NFL, but I just don't see that happening in the NBA that much. No, I, you know what, honestly, like I agree with you, Blake, honestly, like logically I do. And I, and I said like most of the misses I have are based on this like sort of stubborn belief in it. Um, but I would do the other counter too, is just like a lot of these guys are busts, you know, like after number one, I, I mean, what's the hit rate of becoming a star. And I think people have this like rosy, rose colored glasses about the the guy they get at number nine being like an all-star it's just not going to happen because they saw like a you know a comp once to like damian lillard like most of these guys i'm looking at after the top three i'm looking at guys who could just be starters i don't even think they're necessarily going to be great players you know like and to me rj barrett john moran i think as well are the only other two guys besides zion who have the potential to be like good starters And I think that's when people argue about, just to kind of bring this full circle, like that's when people talk about this Anthony Davis deal. If none of those picks ever end up being in the top three, the chances that you net a star from any of those picks are so, so low. So it's about understanding like, all right, we're going to have Zion Williamson. That guy is a star. Now we need the other pieces to try to fill in next to him. And that's where I think like, I remember being so excited about like Chris Singleton when the Wizards drafted him. And it's like, you just have so little chance of finding an impact NBA player early in their career between 11 and 20 it just doesn't really happen all that often you know so for every Draymond Green you point to or Giannis right or Kawhi Leonard like go back and look between 14 and 25 and tell me how many legitimately good NBA players come out of that there's it's there's just not that many it just doesn't work that way you know them this I know well I think your point is right like in terms of production like I squinting and seeing the projection and the possible improvement is a good way to be disappointed necessarily but I was, I, this is a side, we, we might not cut this, but I was looking back at the first overall picks because I'm trying to find examples to the contrary. Do you know the first pick ever? The first pick in the NBA draft? Of all time? Of all time. 1947. Clifton McNeely. Sounds like a good player. And then Andy Tonkovich was number two. It went on to average two points per game. Uh, Howie Shannon and Charlie Scherer. Gene Melichori. It's interesting. I, there was literally no one I've heard of until Hod, Rod Hudley and, and Elgin Baylor like 10 years later. What What was the point of that? Just to tell us that you draft? <laughs> I, do you know? I, that should be cut. <laughs> <laughs> do you know Andy Tonkovich? I, no, I, but I mean, that wasn't even the NBA then. I think that what's interesting, I, the, I, I like, I think Ty's totally right. Like, you know, as the Knicks fan, always getting like it felt like the eighth pick or whatever it's like oh no i could see mike sweetney is gonna be like you know the next charles barkley and, and you try to talk yourself into it but it's interesting that like between 11 through 20 you're probably not gonna get a star and i bet that even in the situations where you had like where you actually were did like Giannis, 
other than the fact that if you were a fan of the Bucks, like it wasn't like, oh, I, I remember him from the NCAA tournament or I remember him from high school. Like I was like, okay, I saw him on YouTube. So like you wouldn't even like kind of know. And, and this, the sad part about it is, like, to be totally honest, the chances that your one, two, or three pick become an M- NBA superstar are tremendously low. You know? I mean, it's just – I think, like, even if you count LeBron, it's, like, all these number one picks. Like, I think only, like, six of the last, like, 20-something NBA number one picks have ever won a title. So, you know, and if you look at guys right now, if you look at the best players in the NBA, if we were just make a list, like, Anthony Davis obviously was one overall. LeBron was number one overall. Like, who else is, was one overall that's, like, one of the best players in the NBA? it's there's like nobody so yeah. i think like that's well, the it's also that, like obviously if if there was a high pedigree guy who was putting up 30 points a game with great efficiency i would take him was not available it's a slim picking strap but we have to get keep going with this exercise sorry sorry for you, really. all right so Clifton McNeely, what do you think why, why did they go number one why did he go number one <laughs> all right you picked Darius who are I was I was snubbed when I offered Zantric the poop. Well, can we just say one thing about Darius Garland? Because I, I want to talk about my my new point guard. Because I actually think he's better than people give him credit for. You know, talking about Blake's point, shot forty eight percent from three, only five games before he got hurt. <laughs> but small, um, small sample, small sample size. That's not even a small sample size. That's like you need a microscope. I mean, <laughs> no, but to my point, I test wise, I really like the kid in terms of his like handle, in terms of his he's, shot. But I know Tyler, I wanted to get this out because I think Tyler's a little more skeptical about him than most people. Well, he, he can really handle the ball. Like, he's really tight handle. I don't really buy the Damian Lillard comps because I don't buy the shooting just yet. Now, again, he hasn't played in forever. I saw him at practice at Vanderbilt early in the year. He was very good. Finishing package is great. I'm not super confident that he's going to be able to get separation from NBA defenders right away. And he's not a good enough passer, in my opinion. Like, where Chris Paul came to the league and he was super quick but not an amazing athlete but his vision was so great and his handle was so tight that he could get separation. I am not confident that that's Darius Garland yet. Now he could get there. He's more of a score first guy. And I don't buy that. He's like a deep shooter, like Damian Lillard, at least not at this point, but who knows? Like, you know, Damian Lillard came to the NBA when he was 22. Darius Garland's 19. I do like Darius Garland. I'm not as high on him as like, let's take him at number three overall, but I get it. You need point guards. Okay. Uh, so now Blake is on the clock. He has Zion Williamson. Who, how do you pair him? All right, I'm going to send you this book. It's called Money, Moneyball, and it's all about how the eye test is is, is not to be trusted um, in all cases. Uh, but anyway, that's fine because you rejected my trade, but I'm still going to get the guy I want, Kobe White. Um, he was not in the – I don't think he was utilized correctly either, but he still thrived, or at least he was able to succeed and, and show me flashes of potential. And, and now uh, – we're going to run like crazy with Zion and Kobe and, and form our new Kevin uh, Garnett, Steph Marbury, Timberwolves Foundation. All right. That's good. I like Kobe I White. i say one thing. Yeah, I know you're higher. I actually don't like Kobe White that much. I know he had a good year. I just wonder, what is he? You know, he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's, he's quick and he can score a little. I don't think he's a real point guard. He's not big enough to be a shooting guard. So I think on the right team, and, and to Blake's point, like if you have a star like Zion Williamson, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I just I don't, I don't know that know. I would have picked him if I didn't have Zion. Yeah, so I think so far everyone's team makes sense, but now it's getting to the nitty-gritty. Back to round three, Tyler's going to get first pick again. So you have John Morant and Cam Redders. What's next? Yeah, this is right around the time where I don't like anybody that's in my like wheelhouse at like, at like the seventh pick. Um, I guess – you know, the one guy that I really like, and this seems very, very high, and he is coming off an ACL injury, but the one guy that I keep circling and looks like a, a modern NBA player to me is Jackson Hayes. He may miss the entire season, but 
in terms of a screen and dive big and a guy who can protect the rim. He's very slight right now. But again, like a guy that has he was playing JV basketball like three years ago. Everything I've heard about from what people say and everything I've watched on film, he strikes me as the one modern big in this draft. And I really do like that if I'm going to pair him with an elite pick and roll point guard. So I'm going to gamble a little bit more and I'm going to go with Jackson Hayes. I would say this right now. If we were unveiling big boards, he would not be seventh on my big board. But if I'm building an expansion team and I'm trying to win in four to six years, I really like Jackson Hayes' upside. I like that pick. I was considering him. But, you know, I got so spooked by Blake, rattled my faith to the core. Um, the guy that I've been eyeing anyway, I would take him anyway, is DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. He is the opposite of what I've been talking about. He's a guy who was not a big recruit, ends up redshirting his first year, coming off the bench in year two. but extremely productive on paper in terms of efficiency as a sophomore this year shot 44% from three Um, looks like an elite defender who's capable of guarding, you know, threes and fours. He has a long wingspan. You hear some Kawhi Leonard comparisons. I don't think I buy that. We've talked about on the show before. He's, he's a little slow to like diagnose plays. You wonder about the uh, IQ on offense at least, but defensively that's where I'm drafting him for, especially when I have RJ Barrett and Darius Garland. I need that sort of defensive anchor. Better shooter than Kawhi at the same stage, not as good of a defender. And also UVA scheme always has to make you a little bit skeptical about how he'll defend on his own because their scheme is so role defined. But I, I like him. He could end up being a very good player. I think he has the least amount of star potential of the guys in the top 10. So, so with my pick, I mean, well, this was obvious anyway, but here's my logic for it, or what I would have, would have been looking for in a player um, is that my, one of my concerns with Zion is that he's too deferential. That, you know, people say, oh, RJ took too many shots or Cameron just took and missed way too many shots. Like Zion is, if he really is that generational talent, which I think we all believe he is, or at least is on the cusp of it, I, I want him being my alpha. And so I'm going to draft um, Jared Culver and make sure that that uh, Zion's going to put him in his place because Culver's going to think he's the alpha and he's going to want to shoot all the time. So Zion's going to end up being like, dude, if he's shooting all the time, like I should be shooting way more. So I, I think Culver is going to put up good stats for us and we're probably going to trade him in the next couple <laughs> But like he's going to push Zion to where I want player development-wise. I, people are all over the map on Jared Culver. I don't personally get it. I just, like I said, I don't love him as a secondary creator. I don't really buy the jump shooting, but I get it. He's got a, you know, he's not also like six seven. He's a weird one to me because he's the one guy that I watch where people are raving about him, and I, I just don't understand it other than the fact that he's supposedly a great kid. But Texas Tech, same kind of defensive scheme where, you know, uh, what's my man's name? Chris Beard just locks everybody into these roles, and, like, you're kind of a basketball robot. And so I really worry about Jarrett Culver as a defender at the next level. But he, he's the one guy I just don't understand in, the, in like, the, the top seven. I don't get it. I, 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 don't I feel it. the same way as you. Like, we've talked about it with Culver where it's – I've seen him as high as three and I watch and I'm going to, and you look at the stats, I test or stats, whatever you want to say, like he can't shoot or he's very inconsistent as a shooter, like often gets out of control offensively. And I guess people have said like, Oh, you know, he can be the lead playmaker on a team and create off. of. And I'm like, maybe he can on Texas tech. He's not a guy I want to create an offense in the NBA. And so I think he's more likely to be your fourth or fifth guy. And if he can't shoot, gosh, I really don't want my fourth or fifth guy clogging the court like that. But I, I agree with you in the sense that like a lot of people that I really like, like Kevin O'Connor and Blake J. Harris, they really like Culver. So like, I, it makes you doubt yourself. And, like, my, my reason was somewhat sarcastic, but it was kind of true. Like I, 
to me, Culver's like, I play uh, NBA 2K on my Nintendo Switch, and I feel like I usually have like a star, like now I'm playing against the Magic with Penny Hardaway. And like, I'll see in the third, in the fourth quarter, it's like, oh, my main guy only has like six points, and he's like one for seven. And then I'll be like, oh, I should probably like get his points up. So <laughs> I feel like that's what Jared Culver is. Like, every game I'd watch, and they'd be like, oh, this is an off game for him. And he's only got four points heading into like the final 10 minutes. And then he'd put up numbers, but it's like, so I guess that's good that he's clutch when it matters, but it's also like, where is he all game? Well, I mean, and, and again, I, I would say a lot of people's lasting impressions of him were the national title game where he was just god-awful. Like, he was really good in the Final Four in the last couple minutes, but he just didn't have a good Final Four, in my opinion, and DeAndre Hunter totally outplayed him. But, like, I agree, Zan. Like, the Culver stuff is just – that stuff is so weird to me. But also, if he gets to nine, the Wizards will 100% take him. Like, because, I mean, he'll. I think people will consider him a steal at nine. Yeah, th- there's always a point where that. There's always a point where these guys become a value, but I, I just wonder, like, I don't know if you're going to draft Romeo Langford. You've talked about him a lot, but I just don't see a big difference between the two of them. And one guy is going 10 spots higher. I don't, I don't quite get it, but I don't really, I don't really know. I mean, you know, based on how I've drafted my team, I have a, a really good point guard and then I have two like very big upside plays. I probably need somebody who can like really finish, but it, you know, I, I don't love just to kind of slow it down even more. Like I don't really love like Nasir Little or, Rui, I don't really like at all. I, I just don't get it. I, I guess, like, the guys that I really like are later on in the draft. I do like Romeo as, like, a, an upside play. But at, at 10, like, this is a really weird draft. I guess Nasir Little is the guy you want because he, like, looks the part and you can plug him in and hopefully he's, like, your fourth best player and he can defend. So I guess I'll take Nasir Little because I do think wings are really important and this draft is light on bigs. But again, like, this is why if I was the Pelicans, like, I don't love four and at least eight and ten you get to swing twice, I think. At, at similar level players. But I guess I'll take Nasir Little at 10, even though I'm very concerned that his lack of basketball IQ is going to ultimately end up hurting him a, a, a huge, in a huge way as a potential player. Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way as I look at this board now because it's wide open right now. We're talking picks, whatever we're at, and at, like towards the end of the lottery. And it's just not a lot of sure things. You Beauties in the eye of the holder. My theoretical team has Darius Garland, RJ Barrett, DeAndre Hunter. I should take a big guy. I just don't know if I trust them. You know, Bull Bull, I think is just so skinny and potentially injury prone. It scares me. Um, this guy from Goga, Bidadich or whatever, I, he looks okay. I just don't know enough about him. Um, Seika Dumbaya or whatever his name is from the, the kid from Africa or Guyana. I, I've seen highlights of him only, and I didn't. Is he love from them. France? He plays in France. He plays. He, in France. Yeah, he sweat. You know, he's like a Siakam where they moved to France, and, and he plays in France. I just don't like the look of his shot, and I think the comparisons to a guy like Siakam are kind of inflating his stock too much. So I don't know. I, I feel like if I'm building a team, this maybe goes more to like team building than anything else. I don't want to force a big guy. I want to take like a traditional shooter that kind of can blend in around my stars. And I'm kind of going off the board a little bit, but I'll take Keldon Johnson from Kentucky, you know, a wing that I think is going to be a good shooter and I can just plug in there and rely on being our fourth or fifth guy as opposed to, you know, a ball-dominant player like a Jared Culver. Now, I've never seen him make shots. I hear he shot it really well in workouts. I've heard he shot it really well in workouts. I, I think that'll be a little high for him at 11, but I do think he's the type of guy that people from 13 to 18 are really excited about. I'll be honest with you. I've heard several guys that I know in the NBA tell me they really liked him, but you can't probably take him before 10. 
Well, and the shooting's interesting because if you just look at a pure stats point of view, like he shot well from three, 38%, but usually free throws are more indicative and he only shot 70% from three throws. So if he's not making shots, then that's a terrible pick. So, but I, I, I kind of like the look of his shot. I think he kind of fits on our team. He's a you know, low maintenance guy around our stars. Well, since Taco Fall, fall <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I go a little uh, down down the big board. I'm going to take uh, Matisse Tybal with my fourth pick. I really wanted him to end up on my team. It's been definitely a bit of a reach, probably even in this little game that we're playing. But I, I I can't recall the last time I saw someone who seemed to be so unanimously the best at one of the major skills that's required in the NBA, even though. He, you know, he seems to be drafted and he seems to be on everyone for around 20 to 30, but I, I, I want that defensive anchor. I want someone who can get on other teams' best players. And I'm if, gonna if he can shoot threes, he's going to be a really good player. I worry a little bit about what we see of him in man to man because Washington played so much zone. That's the only thing like this is where, this is why, you know, here, here you go, Zanny. you knew I was going to bring this up, but this is why I hate talking about the draft, right? Because us not being in draft rooms and us not watching guys in specific workouts and then speculating on how good they're going to be. It's impossible to know how good of a, you know, how good of a defender Tyler was in three on three and five on five when teams had him in for workouts. Cause he didn't work out for anybody, but obviously like he had his own pro day and then he went from team to team. And I would really want to see how good he was in specific man to man and in help because in zone, he was allowed to kind of play free safety, but I like him. I mean, I think he's good, but I would be really worried taking him and being like, how good of a man-to-man defender can he be? Because like, if you think of guys, you know, obviously Mike Hopkins is a Syracuse guy, but if you think of guys from Syracuse, like who's coming to the NBA from Syracuse and been a really good defender? Especially at the guard spot. And that's where with him, if he's really a 30% three-point shooter, then it's like, holy crap. And in 20, when you draft a guy like this at 20, I think it's totally fine. But I'm just like, that would be my one biggest concern is like not seeing how he defended in workouts. I'd be really worried about the tape I saw because they played so much zone last year. So who do you got? You got to round out your team, Tyler. We're only going to do five picks. So you have John Morant, Cam Reddish, Nasir Little as your wings, Jackson Hayes as your big guy. How do you fill out your lineup? Yeah, good one. I'm going to take a guy that's either going to run me into the ground or we're going to win a title. Uh, I do love Romeo, and I will talk about him in a second. I, I, would, I would honestly gamble on Kevin Porter in this spot. I think he's probably the third or fourth most talented offensive player in this class. Super unreliable, tons of problems at USC. Maybe, maybe likes doing some extracurricular activities that aren't great for NBA players, but a guy that can just flat-out score the basketball, and I don't know how many other guys can do what he does. I think the James Harden comps are not amazing, but I think there is some James Harden there in terms of his ball skills and his ability to get to the rim. He's not the passer, but I love Kevin Porter as an offensive player. I don't think he'll go in the top 20, and I think a team 20 to 30 will really have to monitor him because he's just such a weirdo. But he's, like I said, I think he's as good of an offensive player as anybody in this class. So to fill out my team and to recap, I have Darius Garland at the wing, RJ Barrett, Keldon Johnson, DeAndre Hunter. So if we're treating this as like, this is your team, you have to actually build a five-man lineup. I, I should take a big guy. Um, but just a little shout-out to uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's Shea Gildas Alexander's cousin. I think he's really undervalued. Um, he's like a big combo guard who could shoot, and he's just long enough. I think he's 6'9 length to, to defend a few positions. I think he's like in that Kobe White range. And again, they're going like 10 picks apart. Um, but he watch for, watch for him 11 to 15. I think he'll I, be, I think he'll be a great pick. Yeah. If he's in that late lottery, I really like him as a pick. Uh, but to give this sort of like a 
give this exercise integrity and pretend like that I'm actually trotting this team out there as a lineup. I have to take a big guy. And so my debate would be Bull Bull again, the, you know, Goga, the, the Georgian, I think he is. And then the debate about Brandon Clark, who we have not talked about, who will probably go higher than this. He's listed as four on Tankathon. It's just a matter of can this guy who's 6'8", six, 6'8", eight, six, eight wingspan, be a big man? You know, his stats are great. His block rate's great. He's athletic. Do you trust him as a center? I don't know, but I think at this spot, I, I don't mind playing. The height doesn't bother me as much as the wingspan. But he was just so productive. He'll fit into like that range with DeAndre Hunter, you know, the big guys who are productive enough, good defenders, balance out Garland and RJ Barrett to me. So I would take Brandon Clark as my small ball center and we're playing, we're playing fast, we're playing small. I like it. I like it. All right. Before, before I pick, I, I have a question for you guys, uh, particularly for Tyler, you know, because he's locked in and goes behind the scenes. But, like, you know, part of the undercurrent of this whole conversation has been me teasing Zam a little bit about analytics versus the eye test. And obviously, I think we all agree it's, you know, good scouting is a combination of both. But analytics have taken hold in a major way in all the sports. And, and combine that with the fact that, so much of the draft and the reason why when you get an eight pick or 11 to 20, so tantalizing is because it's all potential. Everyone wants to see the best version. How is like, I'm just, I'm not saying it's wrong, but how did Bull Bull like not, is it like a top four pick? Like, like basically on his tantalizing, basically if you go look at the guy and you just look at his numbers everywhere he's been. And if you just think about, wow, what he could be, you'd think that people would totally talk themselves into him instead of talk themselves out of him. This is a good question, and I, I appreciate you asking it. And, Zan, I love your opinion on this, too, just in, from the outside looking in. But like I said before, a lot of GMs' number one priority is self-preservation and not going for it. So if you draft Bull Bull and it doesn't work out, you're, you're fired, right? Like you have no chance unless you're, you know, unless you're super fortunate and you're high up in the draft because of a trade you made or something. But, like, David Griffin could draft Bull Bull at four and probably be fine if it doesn't work out, but he's probably going to get fired anyway. You know, so I think a lot of guys early on, like think about Cleveland drafting Anthony Bennett, like that didn't work out. You know what I mean? And there was no consensus number one in that draft. But the bottom line is, I think when group consensus is like, this guy could be amazing, but he's not good. It's much better to take him at 18 because the pressure isn't that high on you at that point. But if you take him at four and you whiff on a high pick, you lose your job. And that's just the bottom line. And I think a lot of guys are too afraid to go out there and say, you know what? Bull Bull really can be a superstar. Because I think everybody agrees that that exists. But I just don't think GMs are tough enough, and I don't think GMs want to put themselves in the crosshairs with their fan base and their owner, you know, enough to do something like that. And, and that's why I've always said, like, I respected Masai for going out and getting Kawhi because when it, if it didn't work out, you, you look like an idiot when he leaves. But it did work out, right? And I think, like, not enough GMs think that way. And I think you have to take chances. But I do think that's a lot of the reasons why Bull Bull is going to end up going – you know, anyway, from anywhere from 11 to 25, when you're right, like on talent alone, he maybe should be like the third pick or something. No, absolutely. And a guy like this, like you could talk yourself into being like the number one pick in 1988. Like, I can, um, that's, that's, maybe I'm just thinking like Michael. Oliver, all these things. That's my favorite part. Taco, Taco fall would be like a top five pick. If this was the 1980. Michael. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we talked about, you know, I like pedigree. Bull Bull was a top five prospect. Blake talks about liking production. This is a guy who, when he played, he got hurt, but 21 points, 10 rebounds, two and a half blocks, shot 50% from three. He was literally. also, though, he's also a jerk. He was supposedly a jerk in high school. And, and by jerk, I just mean like he was immature, 
doesn't love it. There's all these kind of like red flags that outweigh the talent. You know, if he's a super hard worker and he's just slight of frame, you probably still take him, right? Because that's Kevin Durant. Right. Well, that that's my concern with Bull Bull and why I'd be scared of him relying on him in, in an exercise like this or unless you're maybe the Hawks who have eight and 10 and you can kind of like, you know, take a flyer. Yeah, they'd be good. Uh, on paper, he does fit exactly what the modern NBA is too. He's, he can block shots. He has great length and he can shoot threes. I think the fear with him. When I, when I first read about Bull Bull and was like seeing him on the mock draft so low, I was like, oh, it must be like a taco fall situation where like he's, he's got, you know, this unique body and, and like, you know, would be great 20 years ago, but he can't shoot threes and he can't run with the ball. But it's right. Like, oh, he's, actually, he's very yeah. fluid. I mean, he, he, can, he can run and he can handle a little. Um, super high hips though. He has super high hips and super thin hips and he bends at the waist, which is always for a big, a little bit of a sign of like how strong is your lower body. I, I, I really worry about that. Well, Lack yeah, that, that's what scares me. Cause he's seven two. He has great wingspan. I read somewhere he he's listed at 235 that he got down to like 205. 206. Yeah. Apparently lost 20 pounds during the season. I don't know. It's, it's and the injury. It just seems like, you know, it's about a matter of durability. And then also, as you mentioned, attitude. Like if I'm se- I'm not a great athlete by any means. I don't like playing basketball as much as NBA players. Do you have a good attitude, Sam? No, I, I don't have a good attitude either. But if I was seven two and I had a seven ten wingspan, guess what I'd be? I'd be an NBA player, and like I would. Mm, it's eh. such. No, I'm just saying, like I would try to be an NBA player. Oh, okay, okay, like, fair he, enough. Almost like born into it, he literally was my son. But also, just like, what's an easier path to be a millionaire? Like you know, practicing, getting up a couple of shots in the afternoon, or like going to med school and trying to be a doctor. Some people just don't love it, you know. You yeah, can't. it's it's like scares me. Like the big guys always scare me, and like we make fun of Chris Paul, but I'm like. For a six-foot guard to make it in the NBA, you have to love the game. You have to be a dog. And for a seven-footer with a 7'10 wingspan, like, you just have to be alive and you'll make the NBA. That's the most ridiculous part about this whole, like, James Harden thing that, like, he doesn't care enough. Like, do you know how good he has to be? And that, I agree with you, Zan. Like, you have to just – you cannot – you know, it keeps you from being ultimately amazing, I guess. And that's the Cam Reddish thing, I think. Like, you've been given every tool in the book and it's like – when is, is money going to be a motivator for you? Like, when are we going to flip the switch and see this absolute animal? And it just might not happen. He just may not love it enough. He may not care enough. It's just, that's just the way it is. I think with so some guys. after hearing all this, Blake, are you taking bull bull? Yes, I am. But, but, but it, yeah, I'm definitely taking him, but that's partly based on what Ty said of like David Griffin can, can take a big swing at number four and kind of still have his job because he's not, because, because he has Zion and, and I have Zion. So like, if I didn't have Zion, I'd be maybe looking at uh, probably probably Claxton, though I didn't see him enough, so that's really more secondhand. But like, I, I'll definitely take Bull Bull. I mean, why not scratch this lottery ticket? Right. And yeah. If you if you had Zion and Bull Bull, and Bull Bull turned out to be the upside version, then that's like a dynasty. Let, let's do this real quick. Last five minutes. Let's do two other first round sleepers that we both that all of us like. Well, we'll just go around the uh, around the circle, and then two guys that maybe are second round picks that we uh, we like. How does that sound? Just four if guys. Have it. Yeah. Think about it. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I mean, I'll go first if you want. Yeah, I, I have the two first. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear you guys that all you right. like more than the average. Obviously, Romeo is one of them. I do think the wrist injury or the uh, thumb injury on his right hand is is a big deal. I I worry a little bit about his jump shot mechanics and uh, his wrist. I think, you know, he bends his wrist about 90 degrees. I'm no shot doctor by any means, but he was injured this year. He played through the injury. Uh, Toughness was a concern with him in motor. And I think 
Archie Miller ran a terrible offense. Romeo's a guy that I would really look for. Uh, and then I won't steal this guy from you, Blake, because I know you want to talk about him. The guy I'll give you is, and I've been giving it, I've been talking about him for weeks, is Cabangeli, Mufando Cabangeli from uh, Florida State. Stretch five opportunity. I think he's a perfect energy big. I don't think you want him to be a starter because he just doesn't ever pass the ball, but uh, can protect the rim, can make a three, tons of energy. I worry about his knees, but I do think, you know, he's going to be a guy if you take him at, 25 or 28 that's a, that's a big time pick for me so those two guys Romeo and then Mufandu Cabangeli I think are, are two guys that'll probably get drafted lower than I believe they should I love when you have these things like Ben's of the waist and I him so it's like I just want to throw in and make up my own because like you know you really gotta hand it to uh you know Bruno Fernando he's got the next band of uh you know, like a Southern white paste album. Like, I, I just you know, like, the best, the best example of that, I would encourage people to YouTube it. Um, is it Dan? What's his name? Dan Dockage or whatever. Dan Dockage, soft eyes. He Just talked about, he was on Rustillo's podcast a while ago and he talked about Christoph Porzingis when he was coming into the draft. And he said, I don't like him. He, he has soft eyes. And they're like, what do you mean by that? Like, he, he's not, he has not a good vision. He goes, no, literally like his eyes, like the look of his eyes look soft to me. And they're like baffled by it. And then he stood by it and doubled down on it. Um, I don't know what I don't know what the you know returns of that have been. Does he soft or not? I don't know. But old white guys, old white guys who evaluate talent have all this really weird stuff. It's like trouble with the curve. You, you guys have both seen that movie, right? Where Clint Eastwood can like hear that the kid can't hit a curveball. Like that's I swear jar. That's such horse poop. That like it's just not a real thing. You know what I mean? Like watch tape. That's how you know if guys are good. Well, and also like one thing. Also caveat with all of us being like sort of you know Tyler's more plugged in than than us but so much of this is based on work ethic and character yeah. and, we and situation like what team drafts you and what their plans are for you yeah like all these guys like i like Nikhil alexander walker if i met him and like talked to him for five minutes maybe i would hate him i have no idea maybe he, he's complete trash but in terms of like what we see or what we know he seems good and there are a lot more to it i, I read an interesting article that tom landry um only drafted guys who were close with their fathers you know, which is a very old white guy thing to say. But I've also heard the Pittsburgh Steelers did the same thing. They would only draft players in the 70s who came from two-parent families. That's a, that, was so, a co- that was a Mike Krzyzewski thing for like a long time. I don't know if he still does it because he took a lot of heat when it came out, but he was like only two-parent households as well. Yeah, and, and you know what? Like, I mean, you can talk about society or whatever. You know, these guys have been around the block. They have their own theories, let's just say, and they might be old school or not, but they're, they're factoring in like a hundred different factors that we're not. We're just looking at like the stats and how they look on the court and what we've seen on like YouTube interviews. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you were supposed to give us two first round sleepers. Okay. Oh, it's two first round sleepers. Okay. Two guys I like um, more than the average bear. Uh, I don't even know how to say his name. Chuma Okiki on Auburn. Yeah. Yeah, a guy who was, right. I thought a disruptive athletic forward who got hurt in the he tournament. Make a three. Yeah, he's good. I, I mean, you know, he probably won't play. You maybe rehab him for a year, but you'd say the same thing about, you know, Seka Dumbaya. Like he's he's a project and you hope he's good in 2020 and 2021. And I think by that standard, if you're a team like Boston who has multiple picks and you're looking towards the future, why not take a guy who could be a starter in two or three years? I think that's a great point. I think that's an awesome point that you're going to draft a guy in the 20s that may not play anyway because he's just not good enough. That's a really good point. Yeah, and thank you. <laughs> and after all the hate I get on this podcast, it's nice and positive reinforcement. And um, I'm trying to think of another guy. I'm intrigued by Talon Horton Tucker from 
Iowa State just because of the length and body type. He's 6'4 with like a seven foot wingspan. He like looks physically, I'm like Don Dan Dockich. He looks physically like Donovan Mitchell and just that stocky long arm build. So maybe he can become something, but um, I haven't quite seen it. And he wasn't that good as a freshman. But if I'm in the second round, I would take him as a flyer. Okay. Blake? All right. Can I take uh, Fred Van Vliet? Well, what about Tremont Waters? He could be similar to Fred Van Vliet. He's- oh, no. I'll just take Carson Edwards because he's Fred Van Vliet. Oh, I thought, I thought you were going Ty Jerome there. That okay. was going to be – Fred was – Carson Edwards was going to be my guy and the next on the way back. I around. like him too. I think he's great. Run him off screen. <laughs> yeah. I, I really – like, I was going to say, actually, with my fifth pick before picking Bull Bull, that, like, I, I, want, I really want to make sure that we can get some undrafted guys because I really want Carson Edwards on my team. And, and, and I, I'll admit, like, I'm very heavily biased by the tournament. Like, that was my last impression of him was him just going Steph Curry and, and winning it, losing a game in overtime that they sh- shouldn't even have gone to overtime. If they, I, I, I think there's a chance that's who he is in the NBA. I, I don't know that he'll ever be good enough because I think he'll be able to attack him offensively. But, like, you can run him off screens. He doesn't have to be a primary ball handler like – he, I mean, he can run, pick, and roll. Like, he can do everything offensively that a modern guard in the NBA needs to do. So if he can shoot 38%, he's a good-ass player in the NBA. I think he's great. And then, and then I'll sort of uh, segue this into the second-round sleeper, stick with the first-round thing and say, like, you know, if there's one takeaway from our conversation before the show and during the show and that you probably can't express enough is that fit matters. Like, there's so many variables beyond talent. And, and so – I'm not going to look for relationships with moms and dads to like see who's going to, what's a good barometer for, for, for what, you know, who thrives. But, but I do think that adaptability is key and, and like being able to be malleable to a different fit. And so I really like Ty Jerome. I, I love someone who can take over a game, who can control the ball, but also seems the opposite of like a ball hog. Um, and then, and then this is also like, I don't, I'm not even sure this guy's supposed to be drafted, but uh, I like a, Zandrix picks uh, Chumo Kiki's uh, teammate, Jared Harper from, from Auburn. I really, I mean, he's so fast. I, I, um, I, I'm not, is he supposed to be drafted? I, I, he, I would be surprised if he did. I guess he's been a ball hog in workouts and not shot it great is what I've heard. And I, I like him, but he's, he's not a point guard, and I think that's tough. You know, he's not a great decision maker. But he's fun to watch. He's fun fun player to watch. Then, I, then I'll take a flyer on uh, – a guy who I'm surprised that Zandrick didn't already take it, Jante Porter. Oh gosh, I love I love Michael Porter, but that the family injuries, the injury. That, yeah, did you hear like his sister tore ACL too? Like people might think it's like hereditary. I don't know, man. Like, but I like Jante Porter. He can catch, he can pass, he can shoot. He just can't jump. Like, and no one's seen him play because he's been injured. So it's, I think the Spurs are going to take him at like fifty. You know what I mean? Like just a really late flyer. Well, yeah, and also like to Blake's point, like about fit. Um, there's a few teams like if they go to like a Spurs or like Utah. We talked about them in the, earlier in the show. Let's say Utah takes like Cam Johnson from from UNC as their stretch four. Well, they can't now because they don't have a first round pick. Oh, they don't have a first round. Well, whatever. Say he slipped, or say they trade back in. Like this is a guy who shot forty percent from three, and he's like probably the best shooter in the draft. Um he fits or whatever, like it, it, the right circumstance. I think some of these guys could be, could be stars. And again, it's like, what's their character? Like I, I was watching an interesting thing on Grant Williams from Tennessee. Talk about a guy who's off the charts productive for the last like three years and off the charts character. Yeah, exactly. Apparently his mom is like a rocket scientist or something like that. And just like, 
he's a guy like he needs to work on his his range, but he's like getting there. And in terms of just like, hey, this guy's been really good at basketball the last three years. That can translate if he's a good kid too. I would say there's a couple guys too like that. Like Dylan Windler from Belmont, I think is a guy that can fit because he can shoot. Tyler Harrow will probably go a little bit higher than people think, but the only thing he needs to do is make open threes. And then like a guy like Lewis King from Oregon, again, long shooter, I, I think in a different world, like he's kind of Cam Reddish. They actually play together in AAU, but like it's a six eight, six nine guy who can make shots. The other guy I would say that I think isn't getting enough love is probably Daniel Gafford from Arkansas just because, again, he was like a post-up big for Mike Anderson this year. So if you can get him like late 20s, early 30s and turn him into a rim runner and make him, a, you know, teach him how to guard, it's a lot of talent with that guy too. I, I think this draft is interesting because I do think it's like the high parts of it don't excite me outside of Zion, but like 25 to like 60, I think there's a lot of pretty good players, guys. I really yeah, do. I agree. And it, and it could be one of those circumstances where it's like, how did no one take Talon Horton Ducker and he turned into an all-star? <laughs> I think that guy just, stinks. Like, whatever. Just like example, like, or Tyler Hero. Like if he's, you know, JJ Redick, like, you know, he, he shot 95% from th- from a free throw line. Like, it's possible that he, he's a really good player. The other guy is Jalen McDaniels, I think, is from San Diego State. And he has this whole, like, voyeurism charge against him or something. Like, it's very weird. He has some sort of, like, court case that's not a good situation. You guys can Google it. And I think it's hurting his stock. But, like, he's a legitimate six eight wing who can handle the ball and shoot. And, like, that's a guy that'll go, like, 55 and if he's terrible, then nobody will remember. And if he's awesome, people are like, oh, my God, he fell to 55. Like, who's the next Jalen McDaniels? And it's like the draft is an inexact science. That's the one thing I want everyone to understand when they watch is like, Tyler, can you cut this next part? Because you're uh, going to definitely cut it. No, I'm going to stop the show then. Let's give our Twitter <laughs> usernames and, and, and get off because I'm not doing this. I'm not doing We're going to have an off-the-court discussion about uh, – we will not air this. What crime would Zion Williamson have to be accused of not to go number one? We're not doing this. We're not doing this. Yeah, All right. Answer to that. It's Andrick Ellison at Gmail. All right. Email the show. is Andrick Ellison at gmail.com. Watch the draft. Thursday night, it'll be a lot of fun. I am at CYS Tyler. We have at Blake J. Harris, NYC. Go get your copy of History of the Future if you have not already done so. And then if you want to talk about, you know, Reddit and racism and stuff like that, at Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter. We appreciate everyone who listens, and we'll be back next week. I'm sure the NBA will have some awesome storylines for us. But, Blake, we appreciate you hopping in with us. Zan, we'll be back, all right? Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.